Run if you must. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't let them catch you. <laughs> the Slashers. Hello, and welcome to The Slashers, a podcast where three film critics with wildly different tastes delve into the golden age of the genre year by year and present awards. I'm Megan from Spoiler Peace Theater. I'm Paul from The Countdown. And I'm Jason from Binge Movies. All right. So on this episode, episode 5, 1982, part 2, here is the blood pool that we will be covering. We have Humongous that came out June 11th, 1982. Pieces, August 23rd, 1982. Deadly Games, September 2nd. The Slumber Party Massacre, September 10th. And Alone in the Dark, November 12th. 1982. So let's start with our first film, which is Humongous. Humongous. The monstrous offspring of a violent crime grows up in seclusion on a remote island where a boat full of hapless teens have shipwrecked, unaware of what's lurking in the woods. Six people stranded, cornered, hunted. Because here, on Dog Island, something evil has been growing for 30 years. Well, director Paul Lynch is back from prom night. So this is a, a second of his film. So that tells me what Paul's going to think of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> in, 1980, in 1982, it's very clear mountain men were in, baby. By this point, we know that Jason Voorhees is now a mongoloid mountain man. Here's another one here. Uh, this is a Friday 2 knockoff that actually, I think, once it gets kind of going, and once, uh, once the ship blows up uh, and we get to Dog <laughs> Island, um, it gets a little bit more interesting, I think a little bit more competent. The big th takeaway from this movie, though, is the opening attack, the Labor Day. I, I, I tweeted oh this uh, over this past Labor Day. This, I think, is the only Labor Day horror movie that I am aware of. There might be other ones. So if you need a Labor Day mm -hmm. ritual... Uh, for a holiday. Here's your Labor Day horror movie. Uh, the 1946 <laughs> opening where the woman is sexually assaulted, who ends up becoming the mother of the monster, um, is one of the most vicious on-screen attacks that I can recall in any movie I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of, unfortunately, even in just doing the show, we have seen a lot of sexual assault, rape uh, in this movie. And then during this time, even within mainstream film, that was just a plot point to get Get the hero going is, you know, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, the sexual assault of a woman. This one is so vicious, so visceral, so, and on the one hand, you could say, well, you know, it's well-directed, well-choreographed, like, it's effective, because it's, it feels very visceral, very real. On the other hand, it's so protracted that it was really kind of a turnoff uh, to the film. It really took me a while to get past it. I was just, it was so just gross. Um, and I know that's the, it's, it's, it's hard because that's the intended effect, but especially because of what the... Well, I hope it's not hard. That wasn't the intended effect, Jason. No, well, the intended effect is for you to be like, this is a horrific... You're watching a horror movie, and this is you're watching something horrific happen to somebody. You know, the, it's not. It, it's if you listen back there, there was a very obscure, un, un, unprofessional double entendre joke. So we've all missed I mean, that. Yeah, I've missed it. Um, so it's just ah, it just. Ugh. Um, and then once it gets into the kids and the boat and the brothers and the, it gets really boring for a long time, and. <laughs> Then once it kind of gets down to a handful of people, it has some really interesting twists and turns that are, I think, unconventional for this era of the genre. Goes a little bit more murder mystery, which is not unconventional, as we've discovered in doing the show. They're all kind of, they all could be murder, she wrote episodes, <laughs> if, if done just slightly differently. Um yeah, they're seriously the though. Like, so, like, there's a couple of these are like, this is a Scooby Doo episode in one if you pitched it this way. And this is a Jessica Fletcher mystery if you pitch it this way. Um, but yeah, so and <laughs> this one, it's this one's just to me kind of all over the place on the map of disgust, cur- curiosity, liking it, hating it. Uh, I don't, this one, ugh, ugh. <laughs> that's my review it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a good summation <laughs> Paul what about you do you like darkness because if you like darkness have I got the horror film for you <laughs> do you like not being able to see anything that happens in the last 45 minutes of this movie until a boat shed blows up and finally there's some light on, on proceedings then Humongous is the film for you I agree Jason that the first the rape scene is awful, it's disturbing, it's horrible, uh, and it sets the tone, I thought, for what was going to be a really neat horror film. Unlike you, I actually quite liked the first 20 minutes as we're setting up the characters because one brother's awesome and the other brother is a complete shit stain, clearly shit not being able to live. <laughs> and the whole film revolves around him being a shit stain and doing the worst thing every single time, which puts everyone in more Man, when he grabs that fucking steering wheel after everything they've been through, oh. I was like, I can do it at night. I'm smart. I was like, oh, oh my fuck God. you, man. What yeah. a jag wheel. God damn. There's no way someone in, in this world could be like that and yet A, have any girlfriend, B, let his brother come anywhere, his brother let him come anywhere near a boat. It's, with a gun, just aiming a yeah, aiming Don't a rifle at everybody every minute of it, like from the very beginning. Uh. Yeah, very bizarre. Well, but they had to get them out onto this yes. dog island some way, one way or another. And then ultimately, the film makes a very, very strange decision. That's to kill him straight yes. away off screen, almost again in the dark. And I'm like, wow, that was really unsatisfying. And that's the rest of this movie. For me, the last half of this film is a lot of walking around either in daylight looking at, you know, admittedly pretty cool setting, this sort of uh, derelict building mm-hmm. and in this out of the way, nowhere, supposedly on an island. Obviously, it doesn't matter whether it is or isn't on an island. 
that's all okay. It's I guess it's building a bit of atmosphere, but it's just boring. And then when this hulking, humongous thing finally decides to wander out after them in the darkness, you can't see it. You can't see what it does to them. It's just a lot of running around in the dark shrieking. The little sister character literally disappears for the middle act of the film, bobs back up in time just to yell and scream, and then run away again well, no, to walk no, into the No, that's thing where you're wrong, actually. They think she's blown up in the boat because last thing we see is she goes into the boat. The boat blows up. So they think she's yeah, dead. And she's hiding mm-hmm. in the. And it turns out she yeah, was, yeah, okay. she washed they're, they're ashore and was hiding the whole time because she's terrified. Yep. And then when she does get revealed, her head gets crushed and her eyeballs pop out of her head. Yes. And yes. so I, oh, that really, yes, there's blood poured out of her eyes I and her eyes bulge out of her head. Version. You must've watched a real shit version. Cause it's very clear what happens. <laughs> In the last 20 minutes, I think, is actually visually very clear what happens to all these characters. That's where all the deaths, a lot of the deaths happen. Ooh. Well, in that case, maybe the the version I watched is really dodgy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Really shit. It was so dark. And you get a good look look at the monster uh, finally in the last 20 minutes, too. So... He breaks the... uh, That's true, you do. The other characters. When he... Yeah, the hero's back. back, He bear hugs him, and the guy starts folding in half, Megan. Holy shit. That's to me. That's when it got interesting. Yeah, think- I'm like, oh, finally something's happening. We're not doing this Scooby Doo mystery on Devil's Eye Dog Island or whatever. Well, that's right. But it took so long to get there because it's from the guy that directed Prom Night, another film where fuck all happens. Well, I, so, I like Prom Night. Yeah, so that's, you say fuck all happens, a child goes flying out a window to it to their oh, yeah. death. Okay, I take right. that back. There's <laughs> so the first trauma. ten minutes. So this guy, yeah. you're right. That's fair. <laughs> fuck all happens after no, the first ten minutes. Make- in both the overweight guys. kid with glasses is the is a dick smith and lays pipe like nobody's business and he's the, he's he's the most sexually virile man in any of the slashers we've seen in, in this season that's and, true and then he just does fucking donuts around and around as and he's dying that's how he fucking dies he does donuts as the killer is hanging from the van and that's how he dies you you intentionally leave off the bird like well nothing happens then you describe the scene where somebody's eyes come out of their head i can't wait to hear what you have to say about pieces you're gonna say nothing happens in pieces no boy. Hold we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, yeah. a girl got was... in an elevator and nothing so... happened. <laughs> it's so boring to see people keep walk your powder dry, slow down, hold on pieces. We're on Humongous. Uh, and Humongous is a humongous uh... disappointment and uh proving this guy who is it Paul Lynch? Can't Paul Lynch. Yeah. Um yeah, look, I'm glad that he pretty much stopped making films after this, at least films that we're going to have to watch for this podcast well, series. It's so, good to know that you're yeah, preserving his legacy of being a dis- disappointing Paul. <laughs> you're disappointing me on this yep. episode <laughs> straight away. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you just basically said you thought the film was crap as well. But the part, and the part comes yes, I agree, but the shit. parts you say are crap were all the parts where shit was happening. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, well, I don't know. Boring. But, you know. Did you did you not see the bit where they walked around a house for fifteen minutes and all that happened was I lost? Yeah, the that's the part key. I that hated awesome. too. Yes, yes, I'm in agreement with you. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I, here's the funny thing is, I will give a shout out to uh, Sandy. I believe the the main character, Sandy. I guess, the final girl. The final girl. I will say the last the film first ten minutes, last ten minutes. Okay, things finally start to happen, and she equips herself or or accounts for herself very very well, way better than everyone else in this film does. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a tick for Sandy. Um, I, let me just say this, though. I'd have to go back and watch Friday 2 again because it's been a year since I've seen it. But 
Uh, I think that our killer here may crush somebody's skull with his bare hands before Jason Voorhees ever does. Because I don't know that he crushes heads in part two. I don't think he does that till three or four. But I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, Mountain Men were in. Mountain Men were in. It's funny that... It's funny that you mentioned Friday the 13th part two, though, because I was also reminded of Friday the 13th part two because Sandy pretends uh-huh. to be Ida, his mother, and oh, that's yes. exactly what happens in Friday the 13th part two. So This is definitely a Friday two knockoff. <laughs> that seems to be like, the magic sauce. Yeah. Before. That's the magic yeah. sauce to get yourself like, out of a uh, slasher film. Just pretend to be the killer's mother. Or because it works exactly. two for two. Or try to exactly. seduce the killer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. We're going to talk about that <laughs> later for sure. Because, wow, that is a disgusting, despicable development. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of disgusting, despicable developments, Jason, I think you articulated almost every single thing I thought about the beginning of Humongous. It is the most vile, disgusting, disturbing rape scene I've ever seen on film. And yeah. I've seen a lot, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. too. Um, the only other one I can think of that comes close is um, The Nightingale, which is a uh, very film. disturbing. Mm. Yes, an amazing film. I love Jennifer Kent, but it's a really disturbing rape scene. But it is, ca- I don't want to say but, and it is catalyzing the protagonist to be on a revenge quest because it is a oh, rape yes, revenge Oh, yes, film. yes. Now I remember that uh, one. Yes, this, yes, yes, yes. Irreversible. Yeah, this, There's another one for you. Mm-hmm. This is not that though. And I think that's even, that makes it even worse for me is that we don't ever see Ida again. And all she is, is just a vessel to Mm -hmm. propel this narrative. And that's really what disturbs me. I will say though, that thankfully her dogs come and kill her rapist. So yay for her dogs. But it is just, I think it is a I think the way it is shot is so yes. disgusting and and I get arguably what the director is trying to do. I still think it was just in poor taste and is really yeah, horrific. Yeah. Um partially understandably so, partially uh um mm-hmm. but yeah, but that really tainted the entire movie for me and made it extremely hard for me to enjoy it. It is like you both said very boring <laughs> yeah. through the middle. But then it does get interesting at the end. And I found Sandy in particular really fascinating in that she's trying to figure out what's happening and she's trying to understand the psychology. And in that way, she's one of the most, if not the most empathetic of the final girls we have in this batch of films. And she also has the most tragic ending. The fact that she ends up all alone, just like the, the Ida son. Well, she kind of ends island. up becoming like Ida and with that the is, thing over her head and her clothes. And, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love those visual touches. I will also say, I love the Dutch angles used in the cinematography when Eric and Sandy are exploring the house. I think that's a nice touch. So by the end of this film, I find like right when it's, Coming to an end is when I started getting interested and invested in it. Um, but the beginning and the middle are awful. But the end. That's where my, uh, like, that's, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it, this is a tough one to be like, thumbs up, thumbs down. I can't really. It's like, right. there are good elements to it. Yeah, and there are thumbs down. really horrendous elements to it. And there are boring elements to it. Just a very un, uneven Absolutely. movie all the way through. Because, I, okay, I like the idea of this woman, like, no human being comes to Ida's rescue. They're all drunk and they're all partying, but the dogs mm-hmm. come to her rescue. And so she then ends up isolating herself on an island 
um, cutting herself off from the world to protect the world from this child and to protect her child from the world. And she only feels safe with the dogs. And so she has an island full of dogs Mm -hmm. to keep her safe. Like there's like an interesting something there to explore. They don't. He just eats the dogs. He eats the dogs. No. And then that, that's it. Well, the, and it's like, I guess the, implica- the implication is that the, the heinousness, the awfulness of this crime that committed Inska, it's almost like that's the implication for why this child yes. ends up becoming yeah. such a monster. He's right? like the physical so, manifestation he, of the trauma yeah. and the evil that was yeah. perpetrated against her. Yeah. Yes. But she still loves him right. because right. it's her child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But my problem with this, and this is a big problem with films at this time, and luckily we're starting to see a shift in that. And occasionally there are gems that that do subvert this. But my problem is that, yes, we're seeing the ramifications of the trauma through her son who becomes monstrous and kills these teens. But the problem is, again, the focus is not on yeah. her. And so I keep coming back to, yeah, if, yeah. you know, if we'd gotten some more of Ida, if we'd gotten more of her and we do at least get her diaries. So we yeah. get her perspective. And when Sandy is talking to Eric and she's talking about how men are so hateful to her, like, and she's like, I wonder what terrible thing happened. It's like, yeah, I I would feel the same way, you know, if I the were The one her. interesting but, scene, Megan, yeah, that I just, you kind of brought up is when the protagonist, the good brother... And her are she's piecing the mystery together. Sandy's piecing the mystery together, and yes. she's like, he's like, well, how could anybody love like? Because all he's seen is p- people he knows be killed by this mountain man. Like, but how could she? If if she right. really did experience that, if she, you know, if if this child basically, if this child is the product of rape and turn out to be a monster, how could she love him? How could she want to protect him at all? And then like that's where Sandy's empathy kicks in, and she's she's like, well. You know, yes. just because he looks different doesn't mean that she wouldn't love him as her son. And he's like, wow, I guess. And it's like such a like it's su- such a basic moment, but it's a moment we have not gotten in most mm-hmm. of these films where people are pausing to think about what made the monster and people associated with the monster. So like, that's again where it's like there's something exactly. there, but it mostly goes unexplored, like mm-hmm. you said. Yeah, it's it is unfortunate that so many of these good moments are squandered because you're right, they are there. There are seeds here of something bigger, something better, something more compelling, and they're there, but they are squandered yep. sadly. <laughs> so I don't think that's a really I don't think that's a thumbs up from the slashers on Among Us. It's two mixed reviews and one no. way way down on it. So there you go. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, let's talk about pieces. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a spicy convo. Warning. What you will see in the movie Pieces cannot be revealed, cannot be described, cannot even be imagined. And you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Pieces. Absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted. So Pieces is a Spanish-American co-production. Here is the description from IMDb. The co-eds of a Boston college campus are targeted by a mysterious killer who is creating a human jigsaw puzzle from their body. I wish they left it out because that's kind of a spoiler. We don't know why this person is doing it. Yeah, we don't know why these people are doing it. It's a massive spoiler, actually. Yeah. 
That's a good point. No, no. We just see the killer creating the jigsaw puzzle. And I have to say, this is one of the greatest openings. I love that we start off with like 10 year old Timmy and he's making a jigsaw puzzle and it's a nude woman. And then his mother comes in and she's abusive and hits him and is incensed and outraged and then wants to burn all his shit. And then she, he comes back in and whacks her with a hatchet and then hides in the closet and pretends that an, that an intruder did it. Smart kid. (laughs) That opening is amazing. But yes. So (laughs) What do you, what do you guys think of pieces? Well, so the Spanish title for this John, in Jason. Spanish it's a, a it's a, a actual Spain production. So the the Spanish there is Melgritos Tiene yes. la Noche, which means the Night of a Thousand Screams, and so it very yeah, much fashions it itself after Italian Italian giallo. So it's Italian giallo via Spain, pretending to be in America <laughs> and heavily dubbed, and that trifecta creates a recipe that I love in these sort of movies when it's, it's, <laughs> it's one culture appropriate, another culture pretending to be in another culture dubbed by other people. <laughs> I fucking love it because it creates this uncanny Valley of heightened reality that I think serves this, this type of movie so well, any movie that opens with a child putting together a pornographic puzzle and then Covering that puzzle in the blood of his mother by severing her head is is great for me. Uh, the the we we swiftly cut from that what you're talking about, Megan, to a woman a decapitation via a chainsaw, and I love it because it's the there's a there's a girl. <laughs> Laid on the kid, laid on the campus lawn, doing her homework, reading. You know, just happens to have her underwear showing, of course, naturally. And in the bushes, in the bushes, (laughs) is a man who's who is in the most identity obscuring fashion. That what groundskeeper in the middle of hot summer doesn't have a single stitch of their skin showing? It is so hilarious that she's like, well, you're going to be here for a while. I'm really trying to read my book. He's like, I'm only going to be here for a minute. She's like, oh, okay. And the next thing you know, her head goes flying (laughs) through the fucking air. Um, It is absolutely amazing. Uh, When the dean shows up and he goes, "Um, well, tell everyone it was just a tragic accident. And but then they they know they go, well, Dean, the head is still missing. What tragic accident? Because like this woman is on the quad reading a book. What tragic accident could have possibly occurred to sever her head? And the way that they somehow keep all of these horrendous, horrendous, gory (laughs) murders where people are being turned into hamburger by a chainsaw completely out of the the the, the 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 purview of every other kid on his campus is fucking hilarious. <laughs> this is the sort of synth-laden Euro sleaze that I actually love. This is about the fourth time I've seen it. First time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? I hated it. Then I, and upon revisits, <laughs> I just, I love ancient European cities standing in for Boston. I love the... <laughs> Some of it is filmed in Boston. I just want to say there are some establishing shots. There are shots establishing of shots in Boston. There are also <laughs> shots in Boston that have palm trees in them. There are, I love 
Very true, because it's also filmed in Madrid. I love the bizarro, <laughs> the psychology, the, the the sexual deviance that's all so strange and laughable. I love the best attempts at hard-boiled American detective language dialogue. I love the oh, red herrings, God. which is fucking Bruto, Bruto from Popeye from uh, Alan, whatever's uh, what's his face. Oh, that was his name escaping. Robert Altman. The the Bluto from Robert the Bluto from Robert Altman's uh, uh, Popeye is Willard. I think it is Willard, the main red herring of the movie, who could not possibly be more red herring unless he was in a Scooby Doo episode where he's revealed to us is stroking his chainsaw. <laughs> it's like, well, it's yeah. clearly he's not the killer. Um, <laughs> I love the Clearly. black gloves. I love the I love the fucking dark man outfit that this guy's the shadow. He's dressed just like the shadow from noir movies <laughs> and noir plays. I yes. love the uh, the absurdity of it abounds. I love the idea that Kendall James is the campus stud. Thank you. This kid is the they go, oh, you're the stud of the campus. This kid is your campus stud. Oh my god. I love his genitals end up getting ripped <laughs> off because we're introduced to him where he just beds oh, all these god. women. Then a woman comes back, makes no sense, rips his genitals off. It's fucking amazing. It doesn't the waterbed stabbing, the shower dissection. Oh, the waterbed. It's actually stabbing. good filmmaking, bizarrely as it is. Like the sort of it slow moving and the waters rip the waterbed. They, they have this movie has a great line, which is there's nothing more beautiful than smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed, which is well, I'm gonna put on Paul's tombstone. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> And then the girl is killed on the waterbed and with a knife, a true shallow fashion. The water's rippling, the blood is pooling, and uh, uh, pieces yeah. is one in a million. It's a good time at the movies. It's got everything Carol J. Clover loves and hates about horror films. <laughs> Love pieces. That's my review. <laughs> what, what about you, Megan? All right. Oh, I was going to ask you, Paul, what you thought. <laughs> so... I cottoned on to something Jason said there, which was, I watched this when I was very young. Like, I don't know, when I was running through all the horror films. Like, I want to say I watched this around 19... Jesus Christ. 1991, maybe. So That's a long time ago. He's only 25 then. Slow down, Tiger. I was about 15. <laughs> anyway, point is that I thought it was shite when I watched it back then. I couldn't believe how stupid it was. And only a couple of things stuck out for me, <laughs> including the ending. Watching it this time around, though, I must say I found a new appreciation slash amusement to the whole thing. I think any film where the police are so fucking inept <laughs> that they have to ha- have to ask the campus yes. stud to keep an eye out on things, including <laughs> our undercover police who's also officer, the main who's suspect, pro. the campus stud, who's your main suspect. Like, right. and the, the right. one the one cop is yep. like, he's a kid, he's a student, he's like, ah, oh, he's the best guy we got for the job. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> You know yeah, you know clean. he's clean. He's the best guy we got for the job. I love the the, the voiceover. We just we're just so short of manpower. We can't possibly spare anyone else except this female detective who's also a tennis pro. So right. all, a this famous, whole film is so world famous tennis star who's also an undercover cop. <laughs> and no one knows she's Bastards! an undercover cop. I'm like, Bastards! is this like Mission Impossible? Bastards! Oh, that is. Yes. While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her! Bastard! 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 
there is no final line delivery in any yes. of these five films than that moment there. I literally burst out laughing. This is the grimmest. So, so this- funny. And then I was watching back on the, the Kill Count video somewhere on one of those YouTube channels the other day, and it literally pauses and says, um, headphone warning, before she goes, bastard! Amazing shit. Amazing. It's hilarious. Uh the kills, some of the kills, uh, you mentioned the waterbed one. There's a lopping up of an arm in the, in the elevator. Hey, ele- that elevator one, scene. Yes. Young woman gets- her. That elevator Whoa. scene is intense. Yep. Yeah. And then another one where she's just, you know, she's highly, she's half naked because of course yeah. she is. And the killer you know, basically cuts her in half. As you said, there's dismember everywhere. The way they managed to cover this up, it's all just so funny and so ridiculous and the gore is so over the top and the kills are very impressive. So, yeah, I enjoyed this. And then what put it over the top was last Saturday night, I was out for, with friends for dinner and one of my friends says, oh, yeah, da 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 We're playing seven, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. She says, I'm Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon because her uncle used to be an actor. Sorry, no, her dad's cousin was an actor. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's his name? Edmund Purdom. I'm like, what? So I Google it. <laughs> He's the fucking Dean in this what? movie. He's the, what, he's the killer. Like, wow. Wow. He's the killer in this movie. <laughs> and so I'm telling, so that I, I stopped the whole conversation. Like, your dad's cousin did this to a woman in a movie and did this to a woman in a movie. And did, <laughs> my friend was like, holy shit, I'm never watching that movie. <laughs> so shout out to Leanne. That was a very, very amusing. This is how the media landscape has changed, right? This is a low, zero-budget, international film, bizarro cult movie, yada, 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 yada. As far as at the point we're recording this, Megan and I could fire up Peacock of all streaming services. Peacock! Yes. Wow. You can watch Saved by the Bell, or you can watch Pieces. <laughs> it's just insane <laughs> to me that Pieces is just sitting on NBC's Peacock on streaming Peacock. app. What the fuck mm-hmm. world are we living in? Okay, sorry, Megan. I was just that tickled me to know. I was like, Peacock. <laughs> no, that is. I'm glad you said that because that is such a bizarre. It's such a bizarre movie. And it is so weird. It's just it's hanging out on Peacock. Anybody can watch it. Yeah, any any film that's on Peacock, which ends with the arguably main character's genitalia. <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> by by not by a so reanimated corpse made of pieces of all the other women who've been murdered through the course. It kind of makes sense, yes. though. It all makes perfect is, sense. Yes, very Frankenstein. That, that is how "Say by yes. the Bell" the college years ended, though. <laughs> Screech got his genitals mutilated. Zach got his testicles. Yeah, claws. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, this movie is just, it's absurd. Um, I, I It's fine. I didn't enjoy it quite as much as you two, but also I've only seen it the one time, so maybe I need to rewatch it. I do feel like this is a movie that teen me, when I was like watching like bad quote-unquote horror movies for fun, would have enjoyed this a little bit more. Um, <laughs> there are just, there's so much absurdity. It's yep. just, it's so ridiculous. The choices are just, they make no sense. And also this is very clearly leaning more on the Spanish side of the production yes. rather than American. <laughs> Certainly no one who's ever been to Boston, because again, this is now this, at least the second horror film slasher we have that's taken place in Boston. And as the Boston resident here, 
I'm watching this and there's a reporter from the Boston Globe and she's like, yeah, what's going on at the university? First of all, no one in the States would call it Correct. the university. Second we would, of all, we would Boston here in Australia. has, you would, but no, not here yeah. in the States. Mm -hmm. Second of all, Boston has the highest concentration of colleges and universities of anywhere that on the planet. Laughable. So to say right. the university, you're which like, one? Exactly. which one? Which one? There are a million. So that, I was like, well, clearly no one, that person, whoever wrote that has not been to Boston. But yeah, <laughs> so I was getting hung up on like the stupid side details. But yeah, Nothing this movie just makes no sense. That. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I will say this movie opens with a banger. I love the opening. For me, nothing is as good as this opening, except for maybe the waterbed scene, which is a fantastic kill. And the elevator yes. scene is really great, too. So those scenes are great. Love those. The rest of the film is just ridiculous. But I totally get why you two love it, because it is a <laughs> lot of just campy. Fun. I love the idea, too, because, you know, it's a kind of a deeply, deeply misogynistic film. There's a lot. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Everything yep. is blamed on the mother. But then in the end, <laughs> and you could take it one of two ways. You could take it as it ends misogyn in a misogynistic fashion like it began. Because if his mother hadn't stopped him from putting together that porno puzzle, then he wouldn't have been a serial oh killer. God. You could interpret it that way. And therefore, it's, it's a woman again <laughs> crushing the sexuality of a man and ruining his life, right? He was going to go on right. to be a great mm -hmm. detective. Now he's probably going to become a psycho killer too. You could interpret that way. Or <laughs> you could interpret it as the first part is true. And then you're watching all of this abuse and dissection of all of these women. But then the women get their revenge in the end against this big stud on campus. So you could, you could interpret the ending as being sort of, I don't want to say feminist, but more pro, uh, more anti-male than necessarily uh, anti-female. But I don't think this movie has any ideas mm. in its head whatsoever. <laughs> I think that's all win uh, window that's dressing because it's like, well, Hitchcock and, yeah, you know, I think they're, like, they're trying to play tribute to all of these things. And Jalo obviously will delve into the psychology of its killers and whatnot. But I, th I think it's trying to be Argento. Mm -hmm. I think it's trying to be um, Hitchcock. And at the same time, it's, it has gore effects like Dawn of the Dead, you know, and, uh, Day of the Dead, actually. Something that what's left of that woman in that elevator is really impressive from a craftsmanship perspective and is really fucking right. disgusting. And when that I'm telling you, man, when that when that yeah. chainsaw starts cutting in her in half, now did I need to watch her piss her pants and run around for 20 minutes to get there? Probably not. No, yeah, that that's was pretty terrible. Cruel. Uh it's a it, yeah, it's, it's cruel. Crass. It's cruel. Um, yeah, it's awful. Yeah. It I don't know. I yeah, I think it's very much copying and pulling from Argento and Hitchcock, but without any of the yes, brains yeah, or the yeah. soul. And honestly, that makes it funny to me. Because <laughs> it's like, are you <laughs> both honestly telling me that they did not plan from day one in this script to have it end that way because it is all a well thought out and structured horror film? <laughs> are, you, are you attempting to suggest... For one second, that they might have made that up as they went along, just because I thought it'd be cool to end that way. Like what? But it makes no sense. Who cares? It's a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, well, it is horrific. <laughs> no one will expect. You, you don't. It. You, the first time well, I watched the movie, wouldn't. I had a vague. I, I knew there was gonna be a guy hacking. It's called Pieces, for God's sakes. And the original tagline in the yeah. states for this was, "It's exactly what you think it is." So there was something to that effect for Pieces. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. so which is really funny, right? 
So having a movie, it's like, well, the guy's going to go around hacking women up to pieces with a chainsaw. Okay. But I do not expect that movie to end with somebody's genitals being <laughs> with a dead corpse reaching up <laughs> during the happy ending. We're like, oh, you have a, you're going to be a great detective one day, kid. Maybe you think, <laughs> and then bam, <laughs> just rips his, ah, and everybody just stands around <laughs> looking at this guy get castrated. Oh my god! Oh, it's fa- this is some fantastic shit, buddy. My only question and, and is yes. freeze frame. <laughs> yes, does does he die? Eighties <laughs> freeze frame. <laughs> does he die or is he? Oh, alive? he lives. I think he, he lives. I think he lives as a. Yeah, I think he lives as a castrated man who probably becomes a psychopath. Eunuch. Yeah. He's a eunuch now. He's one of the Kestradi. Never got pieces too. Yep. Pieces too. <laughs> the part of the pieces are, are his is his male member. That's a part of the pieces. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pivot to Deadly Games. <laughs> so Deadly Games. The summary for this says a woman falls to her death after getting attacked by a black clad assailant. Her sister arrives in town and starts dating a police oh detective <laughs> who's friends with a strange movie theater curator and women fall prey to the killer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this movie opens with a woman who comes home at night and then she just decides to not turn any lights <clears throat> on and then she's just going to go outside and get topless and, and get take her a glass of wine. And fondle her, her breasts. Yeah, have yeah, a glass of wine. That's what women do, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. always what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Feel ourselves the, the, up. No, no, no. In my sure. experience, the bra <laughs> off portion is true. That's the first thing that comes off. The door shuts, the bra comes off. The bra yeah, off yeah, yeah. is true. You know, yes. Fondling in the moonlight. <laughs> not for the titillation of voyeuristic neighbors. Yeah, but then a guy breaks into her house, and then she has my favorite, and by favorite, I mean my most despicable dis- Daneville line where she's like what are you here for what do you want do you want to rape me you can go ahead it'll yeah, feel good, good. Yeah. and I'm like what the fuck is this horse shit and then yes and then she falls out a window <laughs> because yes and then reasons. her sister because that yes, window was not reasons. structurally sound it was not it was dangerous but then her sister Keegan shows up and then yes talks to the detective and who is the detective who possibly has the most free time on his hands I've ever seen a detective have? Because <laughs> he's never at work. Detective <laughs> ever. Well, fair to say. Yeah, fair to say. <laughs> and trying to bang women. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, we get Dick Butkin. Uh, who honestly, <laughs> Dick Butkin is not bad in this a- movie. He's actually pretty good. Yeah, no, deep, he's yeah. not. Listen, yeah. I was excited to see him because I've always liked him when he pops up on like 80s TV shows yeah, like yeah, My yeah. Two Dads. And so I was excited to see oh, him. I was like, yay. Yeah. He was a football player. He's a linebacker for the Bears. Oh. He's one of their most famous when during one of their golden eras. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had Dick Buckus, June Lockhart from Lassie, Lost in Space. June Lockhart. Yes. And Lassie meet, Mom. She's, well, Lost in Space <laughs> Mom, too. And Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, That's wow. True. Yeah. She's an. Yep. Inf- I love Meet Me in St. Louis. She's a, she, Such a good film. She's a. a for a cup of coffee. She's got like a scene and a half. Uh, and then we all thought. I know. She's under a blanket, not even standing up. <laughs> we also have um, um, Denise Gallick, who plays Mary the Waitress in this, but she's from Don't Answer the Phone. Yep. 
Yeah. I'm going to shock you. Are you ready? I'm ready. As illogical as it is scripted, the opening, because it is, (laughs) the direction of the opening, the cinematography of that opening sequence, I think is some of the best direction in cinematography we've seen. The tracking shot, the tracking shot, the way it moves through the house, the way it moves around objects, uh, the use of shadow, the use of light, the use of darkness the use of motion, nothing that's happening makes a lot of sense from a character perspective, but (laughs) the way it looks, the way it's presented, the way it's moving around, there's another sequence where we get the killer's POV. It's another low swooping tracking shot, very smooth, it's gliding. That was not easy to do in 1982, especially on a low budget. Um, It's It's true. There's some, this this movie is a, a movie that I feel like is sort of at odds with each other because it opens up with this sort of bizarro slasher thriller opening where a woman is not slashed. She sort of accidentally, she's scared to death and falls out her own window and on a cliff. And we're introduced to this, then this community in the sort of Northern California ski town during a non during the summer season. And so everything's nobody's there except for the, the townies and it's all these townies who've graduated from, high school and have gone on into adulthood and it kind of becomes not really the big chill, but it becomes much more about the disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes an odd dramedy about the, the despair of these suburbanites. And then it shifts from a dramedy Mm -hmm. into like a, uh, I think a rom-com, a romance movie between Keegan, Mm -hmm. who is played by Joanne Harris, Who's doing Meg Ryan before Meg Ryan? She's doing like the quirky, like she's doing a shitty Meg Ryan. But though. before she's Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan wasn't terrible. doing this shtick yet. Um, so she's doing that same shtick that Meg Ryan would then go on to do. Um, then we, when we do get kills, when it eventually gets out of the kinky lifestyle of the infidelities <laughs> and who's fucking who and who knows, I think the pool, the drowning, where he takes the wire. And she's swimming, and he just walks lifelessly into the pool, swims up, wires her leg to the filter at the bottom of the pool, gets out the other side, just stands there and looks at her as she's one arm is reaching out. He just shuts the lights off and lets her drown and walks away. I think it's really fucking disturbing. And it's really strange. Then on top of all of this, the dramedy, the romance, the slasher that's that's all these movies are sort of intersecting with each other. We have a Steve Railsback disturbed Vietnam veteran subplot where he's like lives in the movie theater and he's playing board games and there's there's no connection. There's no connection whatsoever to this bizarro <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons meet shoots and ladder game that he's playing to then what he would go on to do with universal monsters like Frankenstein. It doesn't play into anything. The mummy creature from the black. We have insert shots and cutaways. (laughs) The film doesn't even bother to tell you what the game is No, we have insert shots and cutaways and it doesn't, I I don't know how it connects at all to who gets killed when or what happens or, and then then the reveal is he's not even the original killer. He's just a weirdo. And so <laughs> he then becomes a killer with the original killer. <laughs> and then, and then, then at some point they revealed to us that Sam Groom's character, I think it's Sam Groom was married the whole time. And you're like, wait a minute. Sooty's his wife. And he's been fucking Keegan. And then after we would, uh, 
We had a montage with and love Andy. themes and music and the three of them swinging in the park. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It's well, so odd. And there are parts of it that are like the, the early 80s was, again, notorious for these mid-level programmers is what they used to call them, which were what we would today call dramedies, but we're like drama romances. It was like a couple people from TV, maybe a couple people from actual movies. We put them in a romance movie and like they made like 10 of them a year. That's the bulk of this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. But sidebar, you actually know that Roger is married to City right from yeah, the start because the girls are all like, they're mm-hmm. gossiping about it like, right away. I, I so missed you actually it. do know that. So that's I why missed I was that like, part. you must have because I knew it and I'm like watching and I'm like, why are we rooting for this weird romance when he's cheating on his wife? Like, it's just bizarre. But yeah, and then later the tie into the game is he's like, well, it gave me some structure How? to the killings because I liked it when I sc- accidentally scared Linda. And I'm like, what? I will say I like that it's at least mentioning, you know, PTSD and how terrible that is. But then it doesn't go anywhere with it. It's just so weird and convoluted it's a mess right here's what it feels like it feels like to me and i could be totally wrong but it feels like to me that somebody wanted to make one of those standard bog standard early late 70s early 80s romantic dramas about the life of this town and this girl was estranged from her family who didn't even really know her sister because her opening line is like, can you miss somebody? Is it wrong to miss somebody when you didn't even miss them when they were alive or something like that? So she has right. no relationship with her sister and she has no real relationship with her mom. And she's gone off to become a successful journalist. And she comes back and she's confronted with the life she left behind and where all these people are. And they're all just working and partying and fucking and whatever and sad about their life. And like, I mean, they still make movies like this, right? Like they still make movies like that mm-hmm. and they're just, you know, little independent movies or whatever. And sometimes they win Academy Awards and have Sigourney Weaver. In. Um, but then it's like, it's then somebody came along and said, well, those are, those are getting kind of passe. Could you put some murder in this? And it's like, well, it doesn't really fit. Like, yeah, but <laughs> slashers, we can get some more money for you. If you make it a slasher, that's what, that's what's moving the product. And it's like, Okay, I guess we'll make it a, maybe like a thriller. No, 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 no. We really want it to be kind of a slasher. So really got to add. And could you add some kind of a gimmick to it? Because the slashers, those are getting kind of long in the tooth, too. Could you add a gimmick? Well, okay, whatever. Well, people are kind of freaking about board games and Dungeons and Dragons and nerds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Make a nerd a killer. And add some <laughs> Vietnam. It just, it feels so, it feels like it started off as one movie and then everybody just kept putting stuff in the pot. And then what you end up with is, yeah. Neither fish oh, nor yeah. fowl. It's mostly a dramatic romance movie that ends up having a psycho killer in it. It's strange. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> so weird. The only thing that I will say that I liked, you mentioned this uh, cinematography and the tracking shot. Jason, I really liked the reflections in the projectionist yes! sunglasses yes! when he's watching what? the football game. And I'm like, that's very cool. Luke. I'm like, you didn't come up with that idea, but you're paying homage was, to that film. It, it so was I'm like, done I like expertly, that though. Like, it's- it's done really, yeah. really well. And it's also, you can make the argument that he 
is that he's seeing a life that he can't be a part of because he's so traumatized by his PTSD and yes. by his health issues with asthma and everything. So I think that's nice, like nice in the sense of, oh, there's something yes. interesting there. There's there's a nugget of something compelling. Mm. But yet this, again, this movie squanders it and it is trying to be too much yes. to too many people. And it's trying to be a slasher. It's trying to be the, be sort of a police detective mystery with yeah. the world's worst detective. It's trying to be a romance. It's trying to be the big chill. It's trying to be cool hand Luke. Like it's just it's trying to be too many things, way yeah, too many much, things. Though. But yes, but Paul, we haven't heard from you. Oh, I want to know it. what you, you think know, about this it. movie. <laughs> oh, of course, I hated it. <laughs> I, I know, but I still want to hear. <laughs> Look, I think we've now firmly established by episode five here of this of this limited series podcast. Yeah, <laughs> But I am I am the asshole critic slash reviewer who hates everything that isn't up my up my laneway and, and generally speaking Jason will defend everything even if it isn't up his laneway and Megan you'll fall somewhere in the middle and and be like yeah this this bit's good and this bit isn't good except for when you really love a film and which happens occasionally look this film is everything you've said it was literally like they got five different genres and said. Let's cut them up yep. into little square and throw them in the air, pick them up again, just go, that'll yep. do. There's our film. It was like a David Bowie song from the 70s. It, it's just so bizarre and all over the place. I fully <laughs> expected during that whole rom com bit where, as you say, this is a married man. What's his wife doing this whole time? Who knows? Who cares? I fully expected, <laughs> like there's something about Mary, something tells me I'm into something good to start playing over the top of it. It was just this weird. And then meanwhile, mm-hmm. meanwhile, some uh, this woman said the wrong thing to some guy, and next thing she's being like you said, uh, tied to the bottom of a swimming pool and drowns. And then there's a couple of other lame deaths of women you can barely tell apart because the film doesn't give you anything other than Keegan, any personality, any character whatsoever. They are completely interchangeable. They're just all attractive because that's what Rogers into. Rogers into banging every attractive woman in this set of friends and apparently yep. that's cool because it's not the 70s but close enough it's 1982 well the, the definite well <laughs> the definite vibe you have is this is sort of this is um for the townies at the very least in the ski town it's sort of a very kind of like party lifestyle it's a very like key key party yeah. almost lifestyle but and they even suggest like oh or orgies or something mm-hmm. like that and he's like ah these <laughs> dick kiss is like ah not these all some of these squares you know aren't into that but some of them and surprisingly, I think he's got the best scene in the movie when he's in the pool and, and, and he mm-hmm. like points out Mary and he's like, she's like, okay, well, give me the, spill the tea, basically, you know, give me the juicy gossip about the town. So I haven't been here in so long. And he's like, okay, he's running through everybody's sort of sex life and they're, this person's married to this person, but they're probably, uh, and they're fucking around with this person. Oh, that's yeah. Him. But then okay. when he's like, and then there's Mary over there and she likes to go to the discos and the young guys hit on her and she doesn't think anybody knows and she'd be mortified if she thought i knew and she's like oh whatever his name big joe joe i'm so sorry and he's like don't be i'm not i'm in love and it's like what it's like it's a very well acted scene it's like this is a different movie right it is but it's also so sad because he's like nobody else would marry me except mary it is sad (laughs) it is sad yeah and he he does very well with what he's given i'm like I kind of just want to see the drama version of this movie. You know, I I just kind of want right? whatever that movie is. I'm just like a, a successful woman comes back to the small town from all these people she's estranged with. And she finds out all their lives are a mess, you know, and there's hostility against her because I think it's Sooty who's kind of yeah. mean to her. Yeah. She left. She left. She's the one that got away. 
Isn't that Sweet Home Alabama? That's the plot of Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon. This is Sweet Home Alabama by way of Stephen King. Yes! Because about 58% of Stephen King novels or stories are a writer comes back to their town for whatever reason that they grew up in. Yeah. That's true. That's and true. Here we are with with that. It's just they like got all mixed up with the something about Mary vibes, well, the rom com okay. vibes. So and, what I think yeah. what we're saying is you could kind of take the base, basic framework of this movie and get rid of the com- comedy, get rid of four or five other genres. <laughs> maybe it wouldn't be a slasher, but maybe it's more of a thriller. But you could do something where you know the inciting incident for her return is the mysterious. Maybe it's if it's feigned as a suicide or accidental death. death of her sister or whatever. Yep. And she's reconciling all that. And then all, there's some sort of psycho on the loose or whatever. Like I, there's a version of this movie that wouldn't necessarily be a horror movie, but could be a good movie. And this ain't yep. it mm-hmm. because yeah, sure. it's too much of a mess. It's a mess. And it, the ending, the ending's God awful. It's like, Oh, here's the oh, it doesn't end. Oh, it doesn't end. I'm the killer. I'm the killer. And then, Oh, no, and then it, it just stops. She, he runs at her. She turns around and shoots him. And then she's like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry!" Like you was running at you to kill you. What are you saying sorry for? And then all hell, Steve right, Rolls right. walks out and says, oh, "You killed my friend. Now I'm going to kill you." And swings towards her on a rope while she screams. End film. Yep. Freeze frame. Awesome. Freeze frame. Another what freeze frame. Fuck? But here's the thing. I don't know how anybody wouldn't know it's Roger. I knew instantly it was Roger because as soon as the way he's ta- the way he's talking about yeah. that sex worker yeah. in Vietnam yeah. and how mm-hmm. she got her yeah. neck crushed, I'm like, oh, he's the murderer. Even like, his, even his wife knew. knows. His wife's like, you're real sicko. Yes. Well, and then later when he's talking to one of the women he's like was having an affair with or yes. something and she's pissed at him yeah. because she was making out with some other guy yeah, Ra- and, Randy. He, and she yeah. calls his friend. Yeah. And she calls his friend like a weirdo or a loser or whatever she says. And he like immediately like Grabs puts up. his yeah. arm against her throat mm-hmm. and threatens her. I'm like, oh, again, yeah. he's the killer. And he was. So <laughs> there's no surprises here. The film only gives you <laughs> two options. Yes. Kind of a- yeah. So it's not That's even good enough to, to make I- it confusing. No, no, it's not. <laughs> but I do kind of appreciate in a really bizarre way that the verbally and physically abusive man is the one who's the killer of the women. Like, it just fits. It fits yeah, it does. psychologically. Yeah. So there's something about that that I kind of weirdly appreciated about this mess of a film. <laughs> well, it's, it's. I think to your point, Paul, it framed that frames that aspect of it as a mystery. But to your point, Megan, it's never a mystery. Mm-hmm. Because, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, either no. they're doing it together or it's the cop, right? The, you know, the, the right, physically right, right. disfigured guy who went off to Vietnam and got really physically mangled and emotionally mangled is not likely the killer. <laughs> and, and, no. and then, yeah. well, and then it kind of goes wrong headed because the whole, like, there's the whole point for the entirety of the movie that even the psycho killer makes is just because he looks different and he acts different doesn't mean he's a bad person. And that's when he's attacking right. that woman. He's like, don't you ever talk about him like that again. I'll fucking kill you. Which is like, okay, right mm-hmm. spirit, wrong energy, you know, good thoughts, bad yes. And yes. But in the indignities, it's almost like out of a hunchback sort of a thing where he's like, instead of living in the bell tower, he lives in the basement of the theater, you know, and he's, but he's never developed. Yeah. He's never mm-hmm. realized. He's just, a kid from town who came back straight no. up from Vietnam and people are shunning him except for our protagonist, which is that that's also great. She is inclusive towards him. She doesn't look at him different. She treats him like a human mm-hmm. being. He starts to open up. 
would it have been more interesting if, and it would have been, this would have made it a tragedy. So maybe, but if he has, it was once he judgment. realizes, <laughs> once uh, Railsback's character realizes that the killer is his friend, he has to choose between having his only friend or saving uh, this uh, Keegan. And he does the heroic thing, but it comes at the cost of losing his only protector and friend. Instead, the movie, which tells us, well, just because he's injured in every conceivable way doesn't mean he's a bad person. But how does the movie end? The movie ends with him swinging like the Phantom of the Opera via a rope to murder somebody. <laughs> yeah. Because it would have been more tragic if he had had to choose to be the hero, message. my point. If, yes. Yeah, okay. I agree. Now I want to use a derogatory word towards women here just for the point of this purpose that this Megan and Jason apologize <laughs> to you, both of you and it, this Don't film is it. this film is Bros Before Hose, the movie. The whole <laughs> the whole film is these two dickheads. That's true. Basically prioritizing each other over everything else and every woman in the film to the point of I will now murder the one woman who managed to murder one of these friends, even though Which, up to this uh, time that's I was true, but that would have made that turn that he has to make and proving that, you know, hey, and even mm-hmm. it, if you did it right, it would even be an indictment on the viewer, which is and it would have been a meta commentary on yeah. all these slasher movies where every fucking killer's a Vietnam veteran. It'd have been like, hey. Yeah. And, and while well, the other guys yeah. are Vietnam veterans too, but at least you would say yeah, not yeah. all veterans are psychopaths, <laughs> just some of them. <laughs> the disfigured, right. weird, yeah. nerdy well, guy I, ends up being the hero. Right. I was yeah. kind of hoping that there was a queer kind of romance. Like, that's what I kind of kept hoping. Like, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be yeah. great if Billy, the, you know, the asthma projectionist, was, like, in love with, you know, Roger, and wouldn't this be great? And I was thinking, like, oh, are they going to do a thruple with Keegan? Like, I was hoping yes. it would kind of go that During direction. That but it some, yeah. <laughs> something good moment. I'm like, are they all right, going to get right. together? But yeah, but it never goes that route. So, and it is very much, so it ends up remaining a bros before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he just, and the guy that they've spent the entire duration of the movie telling us, don't judge him. And then they're like, ah, you probably should have judged him. They are killers. (laughs) They look weird. They're going to kill you. Gotcha. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, I don't know where you dug this one up, Jason, but holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> it's a slasher from 1982 Paul and that's what we're covering yeah, exactly. I know you, there was no other options <laughs> hey man no other option that had a, an 80s blood that's exactly right with a montage and, of and Lassie's mom for fuck's sake <laughs> dick butt kiss yeah yep, okay don't forget Megan what's next yep all right Let's talk about my, I'm, I'm giving away the goods here. This is one of my favorite horror movies. I'm so excited. We have finally come to the slumber party massacre written by Rita Mae Brown directed by Amy Holden Jones. I am so excited because I absolutely adore this film. And this is about a serial killer. He killed five people in Venice, California. He has escaped prison and now he's on the loose killing again. And he terrorizes uh, the teen girls and guys at a slumber party. The basketball team is planning a party. A slumber party. (laughs) 
party begins at eight o'clock. Love it too. You think I'm getting better? <laughs> But be on the lookout for an uninvited guest. Please, please. When the pizza arrives, things really start jumping. Some people may have to leave early, but others will hang around and hang around. Eat the dead guy's pizza. I feel better already. Really, I do. But for those who stay, there'll be plenty of surprises <laughs> and non-stop action. Slumber Party Massacre. Close your eyes for a second and sleep forever. This is a film that I think is tightly paced, tightly edited and directed. And I also love that we have not one, not two, but we have three final girls and they all end up working together. I also love that this is a film that starts with the male gaze, with the objectification of women's bodies, and then ends up subverting that by the end. Ah, oh, I adore this. But anyway, I could go on and on, but I want to hear what you, no, two no, you think should. about Summer Party Massacre. Let's just, you have the floor, Megan. Tell us. I think you should continue. This is, this is oh. nice. Yes, please. <laughs> Then we can hear from Paul. I'll go last. I time. mean, okay, fair enough. So yeah, so I've seen Slumber Party Massacre, I don't know, three times, four times. I don't remember. I've seen it multiple times and I loved it when I first saw it. I have loved it every single time that I have seen it. Because what I enjoy about this is that I really like that it just gets right into it. It, it, it gets right into yep. the killing. It does not waste any time. And we know right away who the killer is. There is no murder mystery. It eschews that. It eschews that format, which we have seen so many slashers of this time period using the police detective murder mystery format. And I, I like a whodunit, but I like a good whodunit. Yep. And sadly, many of the slashers are not good whodunits. So I like that, you know, it's getting rid of that. We immediately know who the killer is. We immediately know what the threat is. And I like the cinematography in this. I really like, for instance, I like that the camera stays static a lot and how when... Trish throws away her childhood toys, which is showing that she's transitioning from adolescence into adulthood. She throws away her toys. They're on the curb and she's walking away. And in the foreground are her toys and someone, a hand, and reveal them. I love that shot. I also like that, that so many times in this film, there's action in the foreground, but there's something really sinister happening in the background. And it's not a jump scare, but pay attention to everything happening in the frame. Like when the phone worker is abducted in her own van and then the two guys are walking towards the camera and we see her in the background banging on the window of the van. That is so creepy and bang. And then also later on in the film at the slumber party, when we see Kim and Trish in the foreground talking about what they're going to do and they're barricaded in her room and we see Hiller come in through the 
window with his drill. And so I just, I think the camera work is really smart here. It's very obvious that the killer is using his drill like a very phallic, you know, mm-hmm. weapon. Phallic. And even yeah. at the, very much so. And at the end, he says to Trish, you know, you're so pretty. You're all so pretty. I love you. And it's like so creepy. But what I really, really like and what I find really refreshing is that, you know, when we start off Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a slasher, uh, Carol J. Clover points this out that, uh, you know, Sally's kind of more passive as a final girl. And then when we transition to Halloween, we get Lori, who's much more act- still you know, scared, but much more active. And we're seeing much, many more active finals. And I really love that that's what's so great about the women in this film is that they don't waste any time. They immediately take action. They immediately, even though they're scared, they're terrified, they immediately grab weapons. They immediately try to defend themselves. And it's just really refreshing to see. And it's refreshing to see even in that scene where there's the student who is running through the room and the killer is chasing her earlier in the film, I like that she is hiding and she's very quiet and she's keeping up her blood so her blood won't seep under the door to kind of alert him. There's just a oh, lot of yeah. thought put into this. Yep. And I know that this was a... F- yes. And this Rita Mae Brown wrote this because she wanted to do a slarity. And this is not a parody. This was filmed as a straight slasher film much to her chagrin but i think that this works very much because there's a lot of humor in this there's a scene where the little sister of val opens the refrigerator door and kim's dead body is like in the fridge like falling yeah. out and no and she doesn't that's kind of like morbidly funny to me but yeah there's a lot of humor there's a lot of feminist commentary this is this film has been analyzed so much and has become a cult favorite i just adore it because I, I love it for its feminist themes, but even if you were to strip those out, I love this because it is just a lean, mean slasher film, and I think it's really great. I love that you love this film so much, Megan. I knew it. You, you hinted very heavily at the end of last episode that uh, you were going to dig the shit out of this one, so I, I knew it was coming. Um, and so maybe I went in with this preconceived notion, but I also really enjoyed this film. I had a lot of fun with it. It's very simple. It's very straight to the point. It's 76 minutes long. It, I think what I really appreciated is the fact that this film was conceived as a parody and then Roger Corman mm-hmm. got involved and he said, I'm not giving you money for this unless you make, you put TNA in it basically. And there's lots <laughs> of blood and gore. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. the second part, Maybe not so much, but the first part, like the, the start of the film is just all this nudity. And I'm like, whoa, it really did go make Roger happy early on. So I'm like, is this a feminist film? Like, how come Megan likes it so much? But by the end, <laughs> you totally see what was going on. We get the, bo- the boyfriends, or not the boyfriends, the, the, the perverts who are hanging around outside to check out what happens at the <laughs> summer party. And there's the girls. We'll have a little fight in there. They get inside, then they're like, we have to do the right thing. If we both run in different directions, we'll both survive. One of us will have to survive, right? Yeah, nope. They both get killed very hilariously as one's banging on the door. And if I have one complaint, it is that kind of scene where so so much sound happens for these kills and just no one hears it when they're in the room next door or the like. So you have to kind of roll with that. But I'm being I'm picking on things a little bit there. That's totally um, fair. Particularly when the two are being murdered in the garage and like none of them hear it. Just like one room away. They're I'm, blending I'm sure margaritas anyway. or daiquiris. That, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, daiquiris, yeah. strawberry daiquiris. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wish it was margaritas. <laughs> 
I really did dig though that like it was it wasn't just the the very obvious commentary, but like for example, having an attractive woman being an electrician working yeah, yeah. at the start of the film in, in a, yes. a very traditional kind of male role, and then a, I think there's another sort of handy woman doing some work around the house and almost puts the drill in a, in a bit of full foreshadowing that's going to happen mm-hmm. through Trisha's, I think it's Trisha's face. All these little nods like that as well kind of add to the overall picture. It does look good, this movie, as well for what is a very modest $220,000 budget. And uh, yeah, I, I did. I like the fact it didn't skimp on the kills. Like it does kill a lot of people, this movie. I think more than anything else that we see this week, at least. And yeah. Very enjoyable, good fun. I like the way they all came together at the end to defeat the killer. As you said, I did laugh a lot at the moment when um, I cut off the drill in half and he, the look of horror yeah. on his face when he looks down at his drill, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see what's going for there. Good fun, Phil. Can't fault it beyond those little tiny little critiques and now it's Jason's turn to shit on our parade. Oh. Well, <laughs> let me, I'll get there. So the, the first thing is um, uh, I, I learned recently that Martina Navratilova was in a relationship with Rita Mae Brown, and I never would have thought the two of them were ever together. Yeah. That was, that's a, a little tidbit that I learned. That, that means nothing. It's just a tennis reference. I was like, she was with Rita Mae Brown. Oh, interesting. There you go. Uh, I've Ooh. seen a lot of interviews with a director, Amy Holt Jones, and I've read a lot of Rita Mae Brown's thoughts about the, She's less thrilled about how the movie came out, but uh, yes. oh yeah, she is. Um, Amy Holden Jones wanted to be a director, and that was mm-hmm. not happening <laughs> in Hollywood. And and at this time, especially, most directors got their start with um, uh, Corman. I mean, Joe Dante, James Cameron, the list goes on and on. And uh, mm-hmm. Corman was not really interested in having a female director, but he was willing to essentially give her a shot but she had to do something that was a kind of a guaranteed money maker and that was a slasher film because they were making a bunch of money at the time so oh, if you could do and he made her go shoot like 20 minutes of this like on her own dime yes to, to prove that she could even direct anything like this wow so it's fucked up so she really she does it because she just wants to get into directing she did not want to make a slasher she didn't want to make a horror movie she just wanted to be a director but, but she was mm-hmm. willing to do whatever she could to make the movie. And she was much more interested in making the parody version that was the Rita Mae Brown script. And of course, like you said, Paul, um, Corbin was extremely hard on her. He he's, has a mm-hmm. reputation for being that way as a producer anyways. He's very, he's on set because he's a penny pitcher and all this other sort of stuff. That's how you can make 32 movies in a year, uh, sometimes more than that. So, which is insane. Um, <clears throat> so, um, she subversively retained as much of the parody elements, including when the telephone worker is being killed. Megan, you th- found it chilling, yeah. but she meant it for comedy. That's a scene specifically. She was like, I want it to be, she found slasher movies so ludicrous. To your point, Paul, how mm-hmm. do these people not know that somebody is being murdered right behind them, right, right next door to them? Right. So she put it in more subversively. And Corman. Mm-hmm. just because these are all slasher tropes just kind of missed it and allowed the movie to go out the way that it, it ended up being. And that the, the length <laughs> of the nudity in the beginning and she shot even that scene goes on even longer. That was her intention. She shot so <laughs> much gratuitous, blatant nudity of mm-hmm. so many women for so long. That it forced Corman to go, well, you got to trim this up. You, you, can't, you can't just have. Yes. So that way, the rest of the movie, there's no more sexualization like that. So he's like, all right. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sort of uh, subversive film 
against itself in a way. Um, and that's probably its most interesting feature to me. I think the, the idea of this movie, the history of the movie, the stories about this movie, what the movie was supposed to be, how it ended up turning out, are way more interesting to me than when I finally watched the movie. I, I've seen this a bunch of times, and every time I watch it, I am bored. I'm bored every time because I don't find it funny. (laughs) And that's my biggest problem is it's definitely not scary. I don't find it funny. And if you listen, listen, dear listener, right to this point, if you listen carefully, this is the moment the slashes end. (laughs) (laughs) Comedy is subjective as all of these things are. And the style of. So is fear. Yeah. The style of humor that's in this movie. I don't find any of these types of movies funny. I actually think the Slumber Party Massacre 2 is a way more, I don't know if it's better, but it's a way more engaging movie for me because that is, at that point, a full-blown driller killer parody. The guy has a drill on the end of a fucking electric guitar and and wants to be Elvis and is going around drilling people. And I should also note, if I haven't already, that this is like a sub-sub-genre of slashers, which is the driller killer films. And so he's very much Mm -hmm. a driller killer. So. Um, it's not bad, right? I'm not, I don't hate the movie. It just doesn't do everything. I'm so fascinated by everything about it. And I'm so glad that it exists. And I love the Amy Holden Jones story. And I wish she would have gotten more opportunities. Um, uh, I love the Rita Mae Brown aspect of it. I love, it's just a curio from the era. And I, and I, and I'll get into it as we get into our awards. There's a lot of stuff I like about this movie, but as a just an entertaining film, it's just okay to me. Now it is short, and that's a good. Thing. I'm sad that you're bored through it by it, but you know what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how you can possibly be bored by a film in which hunting snails with a hatchet is a thing. <laughs> it's, oh, the, poor so the thing is, it's just it's not. I don't find it clever or funny. I feel like it's a movie that is hamstrung, and it's like. I feel like it, it's a movie that is trying to sneak in some kind of cleverness, but it never really gets to be as clever as I think it wants to be or could have been. And so I think my problem with the movie is I'm always looking at what it could have been instead of what it is, and I just can't get past it. Oh, that could be a problem with your expectations then. Yeah, but my, my yeah, but I, that's what I'm saying, and that's, that's my experience. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, maybe this might, maybe it might hit differently because I, you know, was a girl who had slumber parties. And so I don't know, it's like Mm. a safe, it's like a safe space. And to, and I love a good home invasion film, which this is, but to have that kind of sanctity broken, you know, by a unstable murderous man killer, you know, I think adds another layer to it. So I just, yeah, I mean, it just, it works better for me. And I, and I, but I get it. Like I said, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for you. The thing that I want is I want a movie about the making of this movie. That's what I want. That would be a fascinating documentary. Fucking flaming hot Cheetos movies. I want, Oh, you mean you want a biopic? Yeah, that would be a great biopic. I don't like biopics so much, but I would. I want the docu series or bio series uh, about this. I think it's interesting, and Corman would not come out looking good, but I don't care. So, (laughs) (laughs) that is fair. That is fair. (laughs) All right, let's move on to our 
final film, Alone in the Dark. Anything can happen when you're alone in the dark. Are you afraid of the dark? Sometimes. Sort of fun. <laughs> Martin Landau, Dwight Schultz, Erland Van Lith. Alone in the Dark from New Line Cinema. So this one is about some patients at a psychiatric hospital and they when there's a power outage and they escape. And then this becomes a home invasion film as one of the doctors, he and his family are barricaded in his home as the patients are coming to kill him because they think that he killed or got hit, their favorite doctor killed yeah, or yeah. something to that yeah. effect. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, this stars Jack Palance, uh, Martin Landau, um, Donald Loomis, um, the guy, um, I can't think of his name. It's Mad Something from the A-Team. Dwight <laughs> Schultz. Schultz yeah. Dwight Schultz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, this is an interesting one. So what did you guys think? I, I particularly like the fact that you cotton on to something immediately that was my first reaction watching this movie is, geez, Donald Pleasance was typecast because you called him Donald Loomis, which is hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. The- <laughs> I did call him Donald Loomis. You're right, Donald Pleasance. <laughs> well, he's a completely different kind of crazy Whoops. psychiatrist here, though. He, yeah. yeah, but he's yes, still a crazy psychiatrist. Very, very different, yes. Um, but I have to say, ahead. speaking about – I just want to say, sorry, I, I jump in, that speaking of, you know, the – the kind of ableist trope about mental institution and patients and being unhinged and everything. I do love to this film's credit that at the end of the film, when the power comes back on and we get the broadcast, there's a doctor being interviewed and he's like, we don't use the term psychopaths and it is a very ableist term. And I love that, that, that this film is kind of addressing that. And so it starts off in a kind of awful premise, but then comes 
sort of empathetic to the patients. Anyway, very interesting. But Jason, please continue. You were about to say. Well, I think it's I think it starts off empathetic because that's whole Donald Pleasant's whole character is like we don't mm-hmm. restrain our patients. They're our clients. We take mm-hmm. care of them. These four are severe, more severe cases, but doesn't mean they're not beyond help. So we do have to use restraints, but we do it in an ethical way. And then our doctor character, who's the family man, kind of looks at, he's more from the conventional world of psychiatric medicine is like, this is Mm -hmm. all, I think maybe there's something off of with this guy. And there certainly is, but Donald Blessed's his character. The subtext (laughs) is like, he's, he's off the deep end himself. Um, The opening sequence of this movie is Nightmare on Elm Street. One dream before Nightmare on Elm Street, Mm -hmm. Uh, like the diner, everything about it. And what's so interesting is New Line is at this point still a fledgling distribution company. This is the first film actually produced in-house under the New Line banner. They're not just distributing the movie. Ah. This is the first one that they produced in-house. It was a massive. And that's why Robert Shea co-wrote it. Massive flop. Did not do well at all. Almost bankrupted the company. And if they weren't bailed out just a little while later by uh, a certain sex offender, then <laughs> this, uh, uh, this could have been the end of New Line. So it's very interesting. Um, it's also interesting because this, to me, shows us, and we've seen it more and more throughout the decade, but we're getting higher and higher and higher quality of actors. Yes, maybe some of them are in a downturn in their mm-hmm. career, but we're seeing higher and higher quality actors showing up in this, what started off as this, maligned drive-in relegated yeah. outsider subgenre sleazo subgenre and now here we are we've gotten columbia has gotten into it uh, 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 uh a few of these other of the majors have gotten into it and here's one of the the young upstart companies that's going to go on to become a mid-major and then obviously become a major and then get bought by one of the classic studios they're getting into it and we're seeing less and less and less of those fringe films coming out per year and more and more. And so anytime you look at any kind of art whatsoever, it always starts on the edges, right? If you imagine a giant circle and then it, and this is especially true in this era when there was something called the mainstream and it, it eventually the core, which is the mainstream sort of absorbs and monetizes whatever started at the edges and because it can produce it at a higher level and distribute it at a higher level. And that's what's happened. We've gone from 70s home invasion survivalist films, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, exploitation movies, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then all the ripoffs of all of those into now, boom, Donald Pleasance and Martin Landau. Uh, well, Donald Pleasance, of course, but I mean uh, Jack Palance and Martin Landau are now playing psychopaths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who are invading a home and where uh, it's, it's just what an amazing journey when you look at history. So anyway, um, that's the context for me for this film. The movie itself has a killer in a hockey mask the same year Jason got his. So it can't be a ripoff, which is interesting. Um, we mm. get that scene with the creeper and the little girl, which is so fucking disturbing. Oh. It is prolonged. Yes. It is disturbing. Oh. It is effective. Uh, it is so fucking creepy. It would, of course, be later used with Steve Buscemi and Con Air and a, a bunch of other films would do similar things. Uh-huh. I think it's exceptionally effective mm-hmm. here. Yeah. I think the performance is Martin Landau is on another planet in this movie <laughs> as the psychopath <laughs> preacher who 
is some somehow is a crazy preacher, but also believes in human sacrifice. Very inconsistent, or whatever. He's so crazy <laughs> in this movie. Jack Palance, who's also very insane, looks at him as like this guy's fucking crazy. And that is a, he has <laughs> there's multiple scenes when they're in the van. The guy's like the mailman's like, "What's your problem, you bastard?" And you Jack Palance just goes, "Oh fuck!" You know, it's just like. He knows. <laughs> you did yeah, it now. you did it now. Why'd you got to rile him up? You know, I'm trying to keep everybody with a level head so that we can. <laughs> this right. is you know, uh, Michael Keaton was in that movie, uh, Christopher Lloyd, the dream team. It's almost the exact same premise. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is the dream team. If they were murderers. And the whole idea <laughs> is that they're murdering, not because they just are bloodthirsty. They're murdering because they think, this guy's committed murder. You've killed the doctor who yes, was helping us, yes. which just adds a whole interesting wrinkle. Wow, it's all the people along the yes, way. But, but then they yes. do start killing along the way. And then the end, the the which my God, okay, talk about elevating some schlock. The end when the power just magically turns back on. Oh, and gosh. Jack Palance is there <laughs> and he's gonna kill the whole family, you know. And then it just magically yeah. is tuned to the station where the doctor is magically On being interviewed station. at that exact moment that live. <laughs> when Jack Palance realizes the doctor is alive, the look of like both relief and disgust at his own actions and remorse and sorrow. Mm -hmm. And he's such a complicated range of emotions that shows up on his face. Uh, it's excellently done. A lot of the stuff Absolutely. in between is extremely boring and badly executed <laughs> here are people with a horror pedigree but they're with a distributor that kind of has a horror pedigree but not in producing horror movies and i think that combination ends up with a very strange film it ends up with a very uneven very like a lot of the movies from this week kind of at odds with itself and i think what you're feeling or mm -hmm. seeing at least what i'm seeing is this genre is trying to it's lurching forward to try to reinvent itself to stay fresh and you're seeing a lot of add-ons well it's a slasher plus of this right it's a it's a slasher movie right. but it's also a home invasion film it's a slasher movie but it's also a romance dramedy it's a slasher movie but it's a and and this is another one of those ones and it doesn't completely come together uh I, I did laugh at one thing. One of the biggest laughs of the week is when the new doctor is talking to Donald Pleasance. He goes, they've killed three people, Leo. And the, secre the secretary, because he's like, oh, they're fine. We can just get them in. You know, nothing, no, no harm, no foul. And he's like, they've killed three people, Leo. And the administrative assistant goes, he has a point, Leo. <laughs> like, 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 she's like, it has a point. And then, he goes, Donald Pleasance goes, all right, they're crazy. Isn't everybody? <laughs> that scene is amazing. That's amazing. See, that is, I actually laughed a few times in this yeah. movie because I also laughed when the daughter is like, um, like when the father's like, oh, this is a really serious situation. She's like, yeah, I could really use a vow. Yes, right now. the daughter, that, the young daughter is then, great. Yes, Lila. And then late, and then another scene that's great with uh, Donald Pleasance is when he's talking to a woman and she's like, should we call the cops? And he's like, oh no, never. Yes, yes. <laughs> great. Yes. I, and this, I think this movie is funny. This movie is, this is blasphemous. <laughs> this is blasphemous. I got more laughs out of this than I did Slumber Party Massacre. I think this is a funnier movie. I laugh my ass off. 
I think it is too. <laughs> I think this is yeah. too. And I love Slumber Party Massacre. So yeah, I, the I value line got me too. That movie. young girl, they wrote her. So we, we see precocious kids in movies between the material and the actress. She was great. She was great. Yeah, she is great. She's really funny. <laughs> mm. Yeah. There was another line that Donald Pleasance has where he, where he goes over and calms Martin Lent down, down at one point and the doctor character says, what did you say? He goes, oh, I said I'd, I'd murder him with fire yeah. or burn him alive or kill him with an axe or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you've just got to take yeah. a hard one. Oh. <laughs> oh. We're missing the best, like, the best part too. Donald Pleasance is like, I'll go handle this myself. I'll go to the house. I'll find him. Don't call, yeah, the police. don't call the police. Yeah, never. Right, right. And I'll talk to him and I'll be good. And I immediately gets murdered. Immediately. He's like, <laughs> hey, boys, it's me. And I immediately is killed. They don't give a fuck. And I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, you're the clinician. This is your actual yeah. profession. What do you make of this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, look, and maybe, maybe that weighed in a little bit to my reaction because normally I get really bent out of shape about how bad psychology and psychiatry is depicted in films but because yes. this film is straight off the straight off the the immediate st- jumping point is this is an out there center this is doing things differently so it immediately excuses itself and having the main character be the so to speak straight yes, psychiatrist yes, yeah, who's, yeah, yeah. who's he's coming in in a normal kind of way for the <laughs> yeah. time and wanting to help mm-hmm. people in a in an acceptable way for the time it made all the other crazy silly stuff in the field uh, bearable for me so but i it did really strike a chord though because uh for example i have my address struck off all electoral rolls and whatever here because once someone threatened me uh with serious bodily harm and, and death um someone who was not a particularly nice person nor uh particularly well so yeah so i guess it struck a chord for me as a professional rather than as a if you want to call it a critic as a film viewer and I like this film more than I mm. thought I was going to. I do remember having seen it when I was young and not minding it when I was young, but watching it this time around. So, yes, there is a definite lull through the middle of the period of the film while we're waiting for them to make the ponderously slow <laughs> journey from the hospital all so the way slow. to this house so that they slow. have the address of. And, and then, you know, he knocks on the door. Is your husband home? No, he's out. Like, when will he be home? Oh, I don't know when he'll be home. Just give me the package. No, I have to deliver it to him. <laughs> and then, the, the, as you say, the, the pedophile comes in and we get that very uncomfortable scene, which is very well mm-hmm. put together because you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, no, he just put me to bed. I was all fine. And then instead they murder the babysitters and her boyfriend when she brings him around because she can't have sex. No, no, no. And I have to say one other thing, which this is really embarrassing, and I'll, but I'm going to admit it because, you know, this is a safe space and we do speak our mind. It was only about three minutes before the reveal of the bleeder that I went, oh, shit, that's him. Because the whole way through the film, I'm going, where's the bleeder? Where's oh. the bleeder? This is stupid. Are we just going to have one other one other guy running? And I'm like, oh, hang on. It's this guy. Yes. And then it was. So mm-hmm. I actually quite like that. It, it almost caught me unawares. And I enjoyed the their hold up in the house and they're attacking them. And yeah, I dug this movie. I thought it was quite good. Overall, I thought the message... You know, as you said, it's trying to be progressive at the start, but at the end of the day, you know, crazy people are going to do crazy things. What are you going to do? That's not a nice message, but it's probably a fair, at least I had a motivation for going crazy and, and killing. We've covered it, Paul. Crazy people invade right your home, you murder them. Yeah. We've covered it before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Jack Palance actually addresses that when he's in front of the family yes. at the end. And he's like, oh, so it's not just crazy people who kill. Yes. We kill because we must. Yes. And that's such a fascinating yeah. statement to make because 
I actually really appreciated it because I always am really, I think similar to you, Paul, I get really like creeped out by the depiction of mental health in so many films Mm -hmm. and, and the way things are so poorly depicted and mental health is so poorly depicted. So I was kind of like, there was something kind of refreshing about that. I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, like lots of people kill, like not that that makes it okay, but yeah. So I actually really appreciated, I appreciated this film's kind of strange muddled perspective because at least it was trying to do something. You you said that in the exact tone that, that Donald Pleasant said, all right, they're crazy. Isn't everybody like, Everybody kills. <laughs> yeah, but you know. Everybody kills a little bit. <laughs> I'll kill a little bit. Yeah, but much like, <laughs> totally. But much like you, Paul, I also really dug this. I enjoyed this. I was not expecting to. This was such a pleasant surprise. And, you know, yes, it That's, does take a while. Yay. To, yay! Even though it does take a while to get really going and there is a massive lull in the middle, yeah. I will say, like, once the actual home invasion kicks in it is very taut very tense it is really well done i actually love how the doctor and his wife fight too and she's like don't scream at me and it like you feel their like paranoia and their tension and then his sister when she starts hallucinating and a special effect by tom savini love that and she's hallucinating she's like oh no i'm getting sick again and it's like so sad and he's That's, like no, oh, no yes you know, oh just- i almost forgot about that you're so right megan mm. that is a great yeah. plot where the doctor's sister mm-hmm. had had mm-hmm. a breakdown and is in recovery yes. yep. and then she's experiencing this and she's like this is all in my head i'm having to break it again and the doctors would right. be like, nope, this time it's real. This time no. it's unfortunately it's so real. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I yes. know, but it's so tragic. It is tragic. There's such a sadness to yes. it and a poignancy yeah. that I really appreciated. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think all of the actors are taking this very seriously. Yeah. And they're doing really mm. a good job. And, yeah, Martin Except Landale. Martin Landale. He is on another level. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to watch a movie where Donald Pleasance cleaves Martin Landau, in the balls and tears him asunder <laughs> upside down as a religious sacrifice in the first five minutes alone. The darkest of film for you. I know there's a lot of people who are it's into Martin you. Landau genital mutilation, but they're underserved here. They're alone. The darkest for you. <laughs> that subreddit. Subreddit. <laughs> yeah. There's sure a whole did. community sure of Martin did. Landau general appreciators, uh, mutilator appreciators. So, <laughs> uh, I'm higher on the movie than maybe I made it seem, but, I am more in the middle than YouTube because I, I just kept waiting it for hit to hit like this third gear. It was like, okay, all right, all right. Mm, and it got into second gear and it's fair. a good gear, but I kept waiting for it to like do the next thing. But by that time the movie's over because we spent so much time in that middle. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, right. That yeah. guy was just like, Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I it's, I, this is a this is one is more fascinating to me. And I think is if you're a horror fan of this era and you haven't seen it, maybe check this one out because it's, it's got some surprising sure. things in it and surprising people in it. Yes. Yeah. The end of the film. Can we just touch on that? So Jack Oh my Pallets God. Yes, please. Goes into this club, which has been established oh, earlier on for the doctor's sister. That's a pretty, pretty <laughs> amusing scene. And then uh, a woman who's half his age hits on him. And, you know, she's drunk and whatever. And he pulls a pistol out and puts it at her neck. Oh, my and God. And she just laughs. And then he laughs. And the film ends. I'm like, what? what? What are we taking away from this? 
I think you'd take two things. Either he's met his match, because I don't know if she's drunk. I think she's disturbed. She might be drunk as well. That he's oh, met okay. a match. Yeah, I uh, thought she was okay. unhinged. Yeah, she's unhinged. Yes. 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 I thought she yes. was high as a and cut. And then so, could be that too. Yeah, he's met like a soulmate, right? Which means yep. likely these two are going to go off and do some unhinged shit together. So this is natural born. Killers. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Or or maybe they live happily ever after and they don't hurt anybody else. But maybe. I don't get that feeling. Let's hope. Uh, or another way to interpret it is obviously he's end up killing her in the middle of that club. But I think it's more so the first one that he's met his match. That's how I took. I it. do too. That's how I took it too. Yeah. That like, oh, everybody has a soulmate or everybody yep. can find love. Yeah. yeah. Which is again, a well-intentioned message, but the juxtaposition of the mortal violence with the flirtation <laughs> and sexual tension yeah, yeah, yeah. is just like, what are you doing? Weird. You're undermining all of the good. But that she's you into it. Anyway. She's but yeah. into the gunplay. She was into she's it. Into the gunplay. She was into she's it. Yeah, that's consent, buddy. I, I do have one. <laughs> One question for my American co-host here about this film. Yes. Am I to expect that in any typical American town slash city, if there is a power failure, immediately entire society breaks down looting and assaults and yes. the like begins? Yes. Because I, you know, I get it out of the mental institution, but the rest of the town's going completely insane. <laughs> They are fucking smashing windows and looting shit, and they're just walking through the fucking store. I'm like, what is going on? The power's been out for like 20 minutes. Have you ever watched American news when the power does go out? Because people loot. And now I'm a bit frightened to come to your country, because over here when the power goes out, people get their candles, their flashlights out, and they get their devices out, and they go, oh, yes. shit, how long? And they ring up a number, and the number says, the power will approximately be back on in a normal... You know. That's what some people do. We've had natural disasters in this country where towns were being evacuated because they were go like, you're going to die if you stay, or whatever it was, flood, whatever. And people have stopped to loot to get TV. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't that, didn't... that was not a movie. That was 100% spot on. We love violence. We're Americans. It's, we got awards to give out. Oh, my God. We sure do. Are we ready to do it? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, let's start with our best kill. For me, it's the elevator scene in pieces where she's sawed into, uh, where it cuts into her flesh. And I think it's an incredible, mm -hmm. incredible effect. And uh, it, it stood out over and above yeah. everything else I saw this week. Now, it was a toss-up between that and the waterbed scene, but I got to give it to the, the elevator. Good picks. All right, Paul. Yeah, I, yeah, I went with the waterbed scene from pieces. It had to be a pieces kill. Pieces... The kills and pieces are that far above every other film that we watched this week or for this episode that it was, yeah, it's just a question of which one. I did like the arm being lopped off. I thought that was in the yellow. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's how it was, started. That yep. was also very, very impressive. So I was kind of warring between those two, but pieces gets the win. Yeah. So there were a lot of kills that I was kind of like, okay, like I like the drill kills in Slumber Party Massacre. I, I love Timmy, the kid killing his mother with an ax in pieces. Yeah. I, we didn't talk about this, but I also, well, actually I think you touched on it, Paul. I really like the bed kill in Alone in the Dark. Like when, um, the guy checks the closet and there's nothing there and then he gets pulled yeah, yeah, under yeah. and then the knife is coming yeah. up on the babysitter. But I yeah. also went with my top pick, I went with the waterbed kill in pieces because go. it is Ooh. a good one. Yep. N no argument for yep. me. That that shot when it's coming through a mouth. Yes. And yeah. Oof. Yeah. Because here's the thing with those <laughs> gags, normally you understand it is to be a retractable blade. 
my guess is it would be a two piece and the, the extension went around the other side of her head, which wasn't in the frame, but the mm-hmm. knife also yep. somehow can retract. So right. that's fucking crazy. But in a movie like this of all the movies pieces, right? That's a very well done gag. Agreed. hundred percent. Agreed. All right. Best poster. Alone in the dark was one that sort of spoke to me. I was younger with the yeah. ax glinting in the moonlight and the foot, the bloodied axe and the house in the background. But, it's got to be Slumber Party Massacre. 100%. With, There's you know, only one. Phallically, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sticking down, and the girls all sort of cowering, mostly in horror, but there's a, almost in the look at a couple of their eyes, almost like surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a classic. It is a classic yeah. box and poster that it sticks in your mind. It's been parodied a million times. It's been ripped mm-hmm. off a million times in books and in TV shows and everything else, and it's... It's yeah, it's incredible, incredible work. Yep, I'm a I, that's mine. Yep. Three for three on that one. Yeah, we're in a hundred percent agreement, pretty much so far. So far on yep. the films. All right, best final girl. Janet Julian as Sandy from Humongous. Bloody boring this week, I tell you. I am one hundred percent with you there Whoa! as well. I, so I'm not going with Sandy, but she is no. my backup because she is the most empathetic and the tr- most tragic, and witnessing all her friends She's die. The smartest. She is the smartest, but I did not go with her. I went with the trifecta of Val, Trish, and Courtney in okay. Slumber Party Massacre. You know what my runner-up was? I can see why. My who was your runner-up? Body up? from Pieces. That was the best final girl. <laughs> 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 well, I wanted to take the proceeding semi-serious. The crotch crawler. The crotch, uh, yeah, the zombie <laughs> body puzzle. She's a girl. She's she's not a final girl. She is all final girls. You know. I'm every <laughs> woman. Yeah. Film, it's yeah. all in me. <laughs> it's all in me. Anything you want done, baby. Anything you want done, especially if you want your penis ripped off. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I couldn't go with the summer party massacre girls because I felt like we were distributing the final girls among three. So I was like one third each. There's my math for you. <laughs> I cheated. I'm fine with it, but I hear you. <laughs> but Sandy is a great one. She is a great pick. Well, they did a good job. They did a good job killing. <laughs> I'm here for the teamwork. Her. Very nice. It's nice to see. Yep, and I feel enough. like, I don't want to say it's the first time, but I feel like it's one of the first times you yep. see them work together like that, which I think is yeah, that's, so. That's a good point. It's so critical. And that's one of the reasons I love this film so much. That, that's a, that's a very um, good point. It's also just a great change of pace from you. everything else we've been watching. Exactly. Yes. You're seeing something different, which I think as we've each of us individually and collectively have talked about in a, you know, when you keep seeing the same things over and over and over, anytime something is new or different, it's like, Oh, it's such a breath of fresh air. It's so nice. (laughs) All right. Best cult classic or favorite cult classic. I struggle with this one as always, but I think I've got the definitive answer this week in at least in terms of the way I'm now constructing cult classics. I think there's two legitimately good films in this list that they can't fall into although one of them wasn't very successful so i'm gonna go with pieces pieces any oh. film that ends with with a you know a strung together corpse mutilating the genitals of the main character um having been through the fact that you know we've watched some of the most over-the-top gore and ridiculous kills it's in a film that's set in boston but shot in spain <laughs> uh, it's so silly and so ridiculous silly. and ludicrous uh it can only be very entertaining it's a bad film but it's very entertaining hence um, pieces for me. Well, you know what my answer is going to be. It nice. is, of course, pizzas. Pieces. 
Yeah, so I'm right there yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? With, uh, don't worry, next episode, we will correct this agreement factor. Trust me, just hang around for episode six. <laughs> well, I did not pick pieces, even though if I was going oh, yeah. with the most outrageous, outlandish, I would have. I went with what was the biggest surprise for me. And for me, that was Alone in the Dark. And I really okay. enjoyed that. And I found that such a such a delight, especially the like last third of it. So yeah, but I, I love how much you, I think I need to rewatch pieces because I might enjoy it the second time around. <laughs> it was better the second time around. I can say that for me. So there we go. And Jason, Pally, right. every time he watches it, it's, it's slowly climbing towards a five-star film for Jason. So there you go. <laughs> if it's not already there. Okay. Best film. Speaking of best film. Go on, Jason. <laughs> Jason, Jason, well, Jason. let me launch into that. Uh, <laughs> get back to that attack by Paul. Um, it's not a five-star film. <laughs> it's a three out of five sharp object film because I'm picking it twice. It's the best cult movie and it's the best movie of the week. It's pieces. Three Ooh, out of five wow. sharp objects. Is this allowed? Is this allowed? <laughs> I don't know. Let's check the rule book. <laughs> All right, All right, well, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going with, I'm going to, Actually, Megan, I think you should go first because otherwise I'm just going to steal your thunder. That should tell ah. you what you need to know. Oh, I'm going with – this is no surprise to anyone. I'm going with the Slumber Party Massacre and I'm giving it five yes. out of five sharp objects. Whoa. Yeah, I did we it. Our first fiver. <laughs> Holy Paul's shit. Gonna pick deadly no, games I'm not going that high. Deadly games. Deadly games. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Funny. No, I'm going to the Slumber Party Massacre, 3.5 sharp objects Yay. out of five. Can we just end this me. with me saying one thing, Megan? <laughs> Please put some goddamn yes. respect the name of Joanne Harris for, as Keegan in Deadly Games. You said she was terrible. I thought she was, I I thought she was all right. I, thought she was- <laughs> I maintain she's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put some goddamn respect on the name of whatever her name is. Joanne Harris. <laughs> I didn't jump on that point, but I'm like, eh, I think she was probably the yeah, best thing about the whole film. I, I loved her. Much, I mean, honest. yeah, she's the best thing about the whole film. That's not actually, no, Dick Buckkiss is the yeah, best thing Dick, about Dick that. Dick Buckkiss is actually, unironically, <laughs> very good in the movie. Yeah. Yes, he's in a different movie. Yeah, he is. And that's a movie I want to yeah, see. It's a sad movie, though. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it is. He's, I, as someone who likes to cry, I want to see movie that. The movie he's in is somewhere between <laughs> Terms of Endearment and Boogie Nights. That's the movie he's in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell you what the blood pool is for our next episode. It's going to be Ogroff, Mad Mutilator, Angst, Deadly Lessons, Sweet 16, The Final Terror, Sledgehammer, and Sleepaway Camp. Okay, Megan's a real film critic. Okay, this is her profession. This is her trade. It's how she gets paid. Have you, Megan, as a film critic, ever seen a David A. Pryor film in your life? Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't think so. Are you familiar with the oeuvre of David A. and Ted S. Pryor? Because if you're not, you are in for a treat. Oh, boy. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And what a treat. (laughs) Anybody who's followed us this far into the season, who's a fan of this show or is listening to the show, I think there's a huge crossover between people who who are going to listen to this and who know Deadly Prey and many other David Pryor films and I can't wait. I'm sure they're going to be excited we're talking about it. I don't want to I don't want to tease it too hard, but I will say that there's a movie on next week's blood in next week's blood pool that is 
mm-hmm. arguably one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen. Oh, geez. Yes. <laughs> there, I would 100% agree with that. And there are two on there that are among the worst films I've ever seen. Oh. So there you go. Oh, boy. Stay All tuned right. for that one. Wow. Now, if you want to follow the Slashers podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the Slashers podcast and on Letterboxd at the Slashers. I'm Paul. I'm Jason. And I'm Megan. We'll catch you next time.